Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Join Josh and Chuck, the guys who bring you stuff you should know, as they take a trip around the world to help you get smarter in a topsy-turvy economy. Check out the all-new Super Stuff Guide to the Economy from HowStuffWorks.com, available now exclusively on iTunes. Hi there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette. I'm an editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and sitting next to me, as usual, is the very helpful... Senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Konnichiwa. <laughs> you know what? I think you need help. Do I? Yes. When I need help, do you? Uh, I do call nine one one. You call nine one one. Yeah, because you're in the United States. That's true. It, it occurred to me after we researched this that it, uh, it is once again a very uh, United States centric podcast. So we apologize to our friends overseas and to the north and south. And okay, okay, well. Let's let's just say, how does a rescue number fill in the blank here? Know where you are? Well, I'm, you're making some pretty big assumptions there, Paulette, because I haven't looked into any others other than 911. Okay. Well, I think the technology is basically there, so let's Probably talk about the that. Probably the same. All right. So let's first talk about how 911 is set up. Uh, we were going to really focus kind of on, on how it works when you're using a cellular phone or, heaven help you, a VoIP phone. Um, but, but before we get into that, it's best to know kind of the basics of how it works in the first place. Sure. I mean, it wasn't all that long ago that there wasn't any kind of standardized number. Right. You know, it, you know it's only been since the mid 1960s that, uh, Late at least 1960s. for the 1960s, 1968 was when the first one uh, went live. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, they had to, you know, work on getting it organized and all that stuff. And, and it wasn't even a national thing. It was lo- very localized. And it still isn't. It's, it's, it it's is, true. it is very much a regional system. True. So, um, yeah, there's no national system. It's all, uh, managed by, by different counties and cities. Yeah. Yeah. Different, uh, different governments in, in different regions are overseeing these things. So as you can imagine, coordination is a, is kind of a tricky, Tricky business on in nine one one, and um, usually you know you're you're pretty much supporting it through taxes and uh, maybe a, a fee to your phone carrier. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, in addition to building out the network, they have to pay people to sit at the switchboard and listen to people uh, with emergency calls and those people who call to complain about traffic and that there are no chicken nuggets at the McDonald's. Oh, you totally stole that before I could say it. Yes, I uh, win. Okay. So, um, yes, uh, let's, let's say, let's start with the landline um, approach because that, that's the easiest one to talk about when you're, when you're making a 911 call. And it is the first one they had to, uh, to worry about building out. Right. So when you actually dial 911, it goes to a different hub. It doesn't actually go to the same hub that a regular phone call would go through. Right, because the phone company knows when you make a phone call. It that, has to. That's right. That's right. Know? In so that order way, for them to bill you. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So when you make a 911 call, the phone company knows you're making an emergency call. It goes through this hub, and then it goes to the closest public safety answering point, or PSAP. 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 So it goes to the closest one to whatever region you're calling from. So that way the response is going to be very localized and theoretically will be the fastest response that you could expect under, you know, any normal circumstances. Right. Now, um, when you call the, the phone company sends to that PASAP 
PSAP, uh, that, uh, the, your information. So that person will know, the operator will know, like, this is where the phone calls are originating. Um, in case you aren't able to speak, if you are unable to actually talk, uh, they can at least see where the call's coming from and send help to that address. And this happens, you know, more often than you would think. Uh, you may not be able to speak because you uh, smoke inhalation. You might be choking on something. In some cases, people's pets have dialed, dialed 911. And in some cases, it was necessary. <laughs> I mean, more than one case, you had an animal dial 911 and it really I, didn't need to do that. But, right. But you, there are... Stories about rescue animals that did dial 911 in order to contact uh, 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 emergency services when their their owners um, suffered some sort of trauma. And, uh, you know, of course, that doesn't happen all that often. But the, the way the system works is the operator sees, OK, this call's coming from this address. I will send help there. I can't quite ascertain exactly what's going on. And so they, you know, pretty much decide at, at the spur of the moment which services to send. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, of course, the, the dispatcher will talk to the, the, you know, the operator or dispatcher will talk to you and then you would explain what the emergency situation was and then they would send the appropriate, uh, respond, respondents. Right. So, um, that's the, that's just the basic, uh, 911 response. There's actually another thing called the enhanced 911 response, which is even a little more, complex than that. Yeah, E911 e- is um actually fairly common now I would think. Yeah, it's, uh, it's from what almost I've said, it's seen. yeah, back in 2006 I think it was 80% uh penetration in the market. So by now I would expect that number to be much higher. So um and it actually uses an even more sophisticated system. The hub that you dial into um actually makes some additional determinations uh goes in and gets some uh Info from a couple servers on the, the telephone system side to try to get even more detailed information about where you are and, and who to route the call to to maybe speed up the service just that much more. Right. Yeah. You're talking about things like, you know, deter- everything from determining how many emergency calls are already out to, you know, maybe, maybe this person's address would make you think that they are closest to this. Uh, PSAP, but in reality, they'd be closer to another one. Um, it also will bring up information such as, uh, what, what sort of obstacles a response team might, uh, encounter, uh, en route to the address. Like if there's a street that's closed or, uh, anything along those lines. Um, so it, it really is, of course, designed to help these emergency responders, uh, get to you much more quickly and safely, uh, than they would otherwise. And as it turns out, uh, this enhanced 911 functionality is essential to getting wireless 911 functionality to, to actually function the right way. Because otherwise, it would be very difficult for the, uh, the wireless provider to get the information on where you are. Now, it, you know, a cell phone can only be so accurate as to where they can figure out where your location is because it's triangulating based on the signals from different cell phone towers in your area. Uh, so it's a little like GPS in that way because it is, is determining your location based on, uh, the, the transmitters on the ground and where the phone is telling it that it is. Right. You know, right. it seems closer to this one. It seems farther away from that one. We think he or she is in this area right here. Right. And, um, this is important because around 50% of all phone calls uh, that go into 911 originate from a wireless 
phone, like a, a cell phone. And, um, obviously when you have that, that number of calls coming in, you do need a way that you can, you know, uh, ascertain where this person is. Um, there are a couple of different ways of doing this besides uh, the, the one you mentioned, um, is probably the most common. Uh, that one is the, uh, uh, it's a, a network-based location finding is kind of the way we think of it. Mm-hmm. It's in, in in the sense that it's all based upon how far away you are from at least usually I think three towers. That's how, what they need in order to to determine where in general you are. I think so. That's the, the number that I saw most frequently. Right, and uh, yeah, it's it's accurate to between one hundred to three hundred meters, which is you know not that bad considering, but. Yeah. Uh, there's, if, there's, if you're, you know, in your car and it's on fire with flames shooting out through the hood, I think they'd probably be able to find you. Within yeah, once they got 100 within, meters. Once they got within 300 meters, they'd probably be able to yeah. figure out where they. Yeah. But the other uh, way you can do this is actually using a handheld device. Like your your phone itself has within it a location uh, device that would help. In that, uh, like if you have a phone that has a GPS receiver, that would it be could, nice. It could send the information it's receiving from the satellite on through the the signal and therefore give extremely accurate location information to whomever's on the phone. Right. So it's getting the the information from the GPS and sending it over the cell phone network. Right. 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 That's exactly what it's doing. However, you have to keep in mind, if you're inside, Mm -hmm. that's not going to help you out too much. You really need to have an open view to the sky in order to to really get those signals from the, um, the satellites. Uh, if you are in any kind of like heavily wooded area or, uh, maybe downtown in a really crowded city, um, it may not respond as well. So that's not always necessarily like, just because you have a GPS receiver in your phone doesn't necessarily mean it's going to give it the most accurate information all the time. It all depends on the situation you're in and the environment around you. That's true because I'm, I'm guessing that, uh, if you were say in a 30 story building and you have a GPS device and it's saying, well, you know, he's here at this location, then the rescuers have to go look on every floor because it doesn't say, well, you know, he's on the fifth floor in suite 540. Right. So, well, yeah. Yeah. So even if it could get the signal in the first place. So there, so there is a limit. Yeah. There are, there are limits. And, uh, the, the whole reason for this in the first place is because the, the FCC was, uh, very much concerned with making sure that when you dial 911 on a cell phone that, you are able to get the help that you require. And, uh, they demanded, uh, demanded things to be rolled out, uh, the sort of the enhanced 911 for cell phones to be rolled out into two phases. Right. The first phase was just using location determining, uh, your location would be determined based upon whichever cell tower you were connecting to with your phone. And unfortunately, that doesn't really, uh, give you a whole lot of accuracy. Right. We're talking like, Six to 30 miles. <laughs> and, and six to 30 miles is not great. Now, hopefully, if you are actually able to communicate with the operator, that won't be as big a deal because you'd be able to tell that person where you are. Right, right. On, under phase two, it's it's much more accurate within 50 to 300 meters, according to the uh, government information Right, I saw. And uh, I was actually looking into this. Now, here's the other issue is that you might wonder, like, okay, well, how far into phase two are we? Right. That is practically impossible to answer without contacting each and every PSAP in the nation because right. it's and on a per carrier basis. It's on a per PSAP basis. They have to work together in order to get this phase two rolled out. So, um, yeah, 
it's I couldn't even tell you like how how many different uh, locations have phase two rolled out versus phase one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, uh, and that's kind of scary when you think about it. I mean, you know, you really don't know when you call nine one one, if how accurate their, their information is going to be. Um, of course, if you can talk, then that might be able to solve some issues right there. But yeah, you know, uh, just to point this out, um, from what I, was reading during my research phase on this podcast. Uh, the experts say the very first thing you should do when you call 911 is to tell them where you are. Right. Um, where I would you imagine, are and especially then what the emergency in, is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because, uh, they said that that, that is probably the most important thing, especially if you're in a situation where you're not able to communicate well, because, um, you know, then they can go ahead and, and figure out how to get to you right. and from there, you know, assist you. But, uh, yeah, that's, you know, don't forget to just go ahead and tell them where you are. Um, you know, because that is, is essential when you're dealing with uh wireless and VOIP technology. And I, I didn't think to, to put this in my notes, but we should also address the fact that if you carry a, a satellite phone, right, that can give information very quickly to an emergency response team, exactly where you are. Cause again, that's working on the same sort of, of, uh, uh, kind of way as a GPS receiver, you're receiving your satellite, uh, signals through satellite. Um, and there are many satellite emergency phones that are on the market for people who like, you know, like to hike in the Yukon or sure. s- things like that. You know, people who really do go into these, you know, high risk environments, um, because they're, they're adventurers at heart. Right. And, uh, these sort of phones help, uh, help get that information out. Usually it's a, a simple button you press and it sends an emergency signal and it includes your coordinates. Yeah. Um, like and, OnStar in cars. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. It's OnStar for hikers. Yeah. And very expensive. Yes. Yes. They are not cheap. <laughs> yeah. We're not talking like your thirty nine ninety nine voice plan. I think they're significantly more right. expensive. Both the phones that. and the plans cost quite a bit of money. But if it's a matter of life and death because you're an adventurer and like, like to go out and, you know, party with grizzly bears who might eat you. And who doesn't? Right. <laughs> you know, it might be worth the investment. So let's move on to VoIP. Oh, VoIP. I love voice VoIP. Voice over internet protocol. That's true. Now, voice over internet protocol, we've talked about before in this podcast. This is, uh, many times. Yeah. This is, uh, this is, it sends your phone call like it would send, it sends it over the internet as mm-hmm. opposed to over the cellular network. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like every other kind of information that's sent over the internet, it's broken up into packets. And it gets little pieces, teeny tiny pieces, like, you know, like a Mike TV and Willy Wonka flies through the air and it gets to the other side and gets re, it gets put back together and then it becomes the phone call on the other end. Uh, here's the problem with VoIP. Um, there's no physical location associated with VoIP at all. At all. You, your VoIP is associated mainly with your, um, computer or device upon which you have VoIP installed. That's true. I mean, it, there is, you know, you can ping something, a location, yeah. and get a sort of an idea of where it's going to because, you know, an internet, anything you send to the internet reaches lots of computers, tons and tons and tons of computers because it's, it's bouncing piece by piece over, you know, network by network, different stuff in between here and there. The thing is, you know, there's very, this information that's coming around with is very sketchy. Right. So you, it's, you know, it's you less might be able reliable to get a than cell general phone idea of where someone is. But the other thing is that, um, you know, it's, it's 
you can set a location when you set up a, a VoIP account. In fact, mm-hmm. um, you're supposed to, um, which would be, you know, like the idea here is that you're telling the, the company, this is where I usually, I, I am usually at when I make my VoIP calls. Like if I, I'm usually at home when I use this VoIP system. So that way, if I were to ever call 911 over the VoIP system, chances are this is the location. That I'm calling from. Right. Um, and then theoretically, you should have an easy way to update that information so that if you were to travel, you could say, I happen to be in Prague, not, you know, of course, if you're in Prague, I don't know why you'd be dialing 911. But the point being that, uh, you should be able to update your location so that, um, you're not sending the, the operators on a merry chase. Or really, it's just to, to let the phone company know which PSAP, your call needs to be routed to. Yeah. It's not going to do you much good if you call 911 and the person answering the phone is eight counties away. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's, all that's going to do is waste valuable seconds. And of course we know like in an emergency, every second counts. Yeah. If you're, uh, if you're a VOIP telephone customer, for example, if you had Vonage, uh, or many of the others, uh, a lot of the regular ISPs, and uh, phone companies offer some kind of VOIP service now. Um, they'll tell you whether or not you can use 911. Um, and they, they sort of have some of the details ironed out. However, if you were to be using some of the uh, programs like Skype or uh, Gizmo Project, I don't know that it would be as reliable as, you know, something like Vonage, which is, you know, set up to be, it's like, well, we know where he lives. He's calling right. from this address. It's fine. Now, the FCC says that any VoIP uh, provider has to provide 911 support and it has to work. Uh, they don't go so far as to explain how that's supposed to happen, but they say this is how it has to be. So it's left up to the providers to find a way to make it work. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, if you're if they know that you have a um, voice powered line system at your house and you're calling from your house, well, they know where that is. They can it works. It would work very similarly to a, a regular telephone call, I would assume, in that um, they would say, well, uh, Chris is calling. We know Chris lives at this address. Send him here. And that would be it. But, uh, you know, it's not because of the VoIP. It's because they know they already know where you live. Right. And uh, according to the FCC, uh, interconnected VoIP providers must obtain a affirmative acknowledgement from all existing customers that they are aware of and understand the limitations of their 911 service. And they do send that information to you yeah. if you're a customer, because I am a VOIP customer. So you actually received that? Yep. Excellent. So good on them. They're following the law. Um, the law. But yeah, it is important to remember that if you're a VoIP customer, that that could become uh uh, an issue. However, we should also point out that um, you can also make 911 calls from any cellular phone or uh, really any landline. I think I think you can make an emergency call no matter what. Uh, you don't even even if you don't have a plan anymore on a cell phone. If you right. pick up a cell phone and dial 911, it has to work. Right. That's true. I mean, that's if you have an old cell phone. Um, I'd actually heard this mentioned before um, by a, a consumer. Um, Consumer rights advocates said, if you have an old cell phone, you, you know, trade it in for a new one, go ahead and keep it charged up, the old one, and throw it in your glove compartment. Because what if you leave your cell phone at home and you get in an accident? 
you still are supposed to be able to call 911 and they're still supposed to connect those emergency calls. So it's a good use for a, an old beat up phone. Yeah, I know there are some charity organizations that accept donations of old phones specifically to use them as emergency phones for underserved populations. Yeah. So, that's um, a very nice thing. so yeah, that's, that's a good thing to keep in mind is even if you do use VoIP, it may, it may behoove you to keep a regular old phone plugged in or a, uh, a cell phone laying around so that you can rely on that in the case of an emergency, just in case the VoIP doesn't work exactly the way you would hope it would work. And in which case you would want to tell them where you are first. Yes, always remember that. Uh, I'm done. I am too. Excellent, because you know what that means. Oh, goody. Yeah, it's time for Listener Mail! Yay! I'm trying a new approach this time. Yay? Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. All right, this uh, listener <laughs> mail comes from Andrew. <clears throat> Hi, Andrew. He says, hello. Hey, look, he said, hi back. <laughs> My name is Andrew from Illinois. So he's the Andrew from Illinois. Hi, Andrew in Illinois. He's, uh, he's in seventh grade, and I'm subscribed to, what is it now, seven? Yeah, all seven How Stuff Works podcasts. You are awesome, Andrew. <clears throat> I just thought I'd drop you a line, a line to you guys at Tech Stuff and say the specifics about the five major web browsers, Internet Explorer, I have eight, Mozilla Firefox, Apple Safari, Google Chrome, and Opera. I have all five on my laptop. And although Internet Explorer is the easiest to use, best for favorites and bookmarks, and a few other things, it is in no way the best. Firefox is by far the best and safest of them all. Safari is the fastest. Chrome is stripped down, making it an easier interface to use. And Opera makes the best backup browser and is great on older computers. I know that you probably know all this already, but I just wanted to say what I believe about them. I never owned and hardly ever used a Mac before, by the way. I just wanted to say that. I am slash was bored, and it is 9.35 p.m. Bye. (laughs) 9.35 p.m. in seventh grade. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I'd say bedtime at 10. Yeah. Well, that's my bedtime now. Yeah, me too. Good Lord. (laughs) Well, Andrew, thank you very much for writing in. Yeah, Um, Five browsers on one laptop. Oh, well, see, that's that's because, uh, that's you see, he's not using a Mac, because if he was using a Mac, he'd have those plus OmniWeb and Camino, at least, if not Shira. I'm almost sad that I picked this mail to read. (laughs) Yeah, you know, uh, you're right, though, because... Each browser, they're all, they're all good. Uh, and it's, it seems like from using all of them, there's always one thing about each one of them that goes, man, I wish everybody else would do this, but they don't. Yeah. Yeah. I can think right off the top of my head. For instance, um, I'd say the Internet Explorer probably has the most widespread support. Oh yeah. Uh, you can get just about any website to work in Internet Explorer. Right. Um, it's also out of the major ones, it's the slowest. Yeah. Uh, although Internet Explorer 8 is faster than 7. I think, uh, what was it? Safari was like 36 times faster than Internet yeah. Explorer 7. Yep. Yeah, it's only like 8 times faster than Internet Explorer 8. So it's, it's improved, but, uh, yeah. Um, actually, I, I think, uh, and, and Andrew sent this for a while ago. I think I should point out that Google Chrome does have a new beta out that's even faster. And so I hate to bite me, Safari. I hate to disagree with you, Andrew, but, uh, they had a contest. Uh, not too long ago, in which they uh, let crackers, well, they're white hat hackers, take a, a shot at the different, uh, stop it, no, laughing at me I'm quietly. I'm not making a joke. All right. Go ahead. Anyway, 
Uh, they let some some hackers take a shot at the security on the different browsers, and the one that uh, withstood the attack the longest was not Firefox; it was Chrome. Yeah, Chrome actually did. Did they ever break it? Uh, I didn't I see a follow up. I think they, they finally just gave up at the end of the first day. That was the only one that they hadn't actually managed to crack. Um, yeah. However, you don't have all the extensions and flexibility of Firefox. This is true. This yet. is true. I, I rely on Firefox primarily, and then I use Chrome as my backup browser. And then I use Internet Explorer for whenever I have to access anything uh, internally. I still have a soft spot in my heart for Opera. Do you? Yeah. And uh, Safari is pretty. You know, there, there's some good things about all of them. I'm more of a musical fan than an opera fan. I'm just going to stop with that. Okay, so I guess that wraps things up. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can write us at techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, we have blogs up. You can find those at howstuffworks.com, as well as articles about all the subjects we've been talking about so far. And we hope to talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?